Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. That was, those were, the last words and the last prayer of reformer William Tyndale, spoken as he was tied to the stake and martyred by the Roman Catholic Church in 1536, just 42 years old. He was martyred for wanting every common person, or as he wrote, every plowboy, every common person to have and read and understand God's word in a language that they could actually understand. But the church wouldn't allow it. By the emperor's decree, it was all in Latin and no common man could understand it, which meant that the gospel in effect was hidden, hidden by the church's teaching on salvation by faith plus works. The gospel was covered over, so great covered over was salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. Covered over was justification by faith alone. And if God's grace is what is needed to be saved, right? If God's grace is the only thing that can save man from sin and judgment, ultimately in hell, the Bible says, it's no wonder that Tyndale dedicated so much of his life to uncovering the grace of God through Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. Eventually, the Holy Roman Emperor condemned Tyndale as a heretic. And again, he was killed at the stake as a martyr for the gospel, praying once again, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. He requested permission from this King of England to translate the scriptures from the Greek and Hebrew into English to the common man. But his eyes remained closed and the Holy Roman Emperor's eyes remained closed. Tyndale was unashamed of the gospel and the word of God because in it, God had laid down the way of salvation by faith alone in Christ. Friends, this uh, boldness for the gospel is not unique to 16th century white dudes in England. If you read church history, right? If you read church history, we see that this boldness characterized many a man and woman who gave their lives to bringing God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And the Apostle Paul is perhaps the most famous of them. We see the Apostle Paul's boldness in our passage this morning, found in the book of Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I invite you to go ahead and turn there with me now. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, found on page 939, if you're using one of those black Bibles there in front of you. These two verses here are the theme of the entire book of Romans, many think, and I I would agree here. And in these verses, in these theme verses for Romans, Paul lays down reasons for why we should never be ashamed of the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, it was a letter to the Roman Christians, the Roman church uh, in the mid to late 50s A.D., And though he was a missionary, and though he did a lot of work around the Mediterranean Sea, he had never been to Rome. He did not plant the church in Rome, but he knew some Christians who were already there. And in Romans chapter 15, he states so clearly that his desire was to go and visit them, as well as to take the gospel to areas of Spain and and other parts of the world. Planting new churches through the preaching of the gospel and then visiting uh, visiting those Christians and caring for those Christians is what his God-given burden and calling was as Christ's apostle. 
If you look there in Romans 1, 11, right, you see Paul's desires in these earlier verses of chapter 1. It is so that, right, he wants to go and visit them, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, right? This is like spiritual wisdom to the gospel. It's basically wisdom into the book of Romans. Uh, in one thirteen, it says there, he wants to go there, that I may reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Thinking of Spain, that's where he wants to ultimately go. And then with those desires, Paul says there in verse 15, go ahead and look there. He says, so... With those desires, with that obligation to Jew and Gentile, the whole entire world, with those desire to reap a harvest, he says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Then you have the theme verses. Explaining why he wants to preach the gospel in Rome and then to the ends of the earth. Look there at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From this passage, Paul gives us three reasons why we should never be ashamed of the gospel. Now, we can break it up into more reasons, but let's just think about big categories here. Three reasons why we need not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's dive into reason number one. He says there in verse 16, First, it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. You see this in the grammar of the Bible, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel for it, that is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. So you have a reason here why he's not ashamed. The reason why he's not ashamed, the reason why he's going to go preach it all around the world is because it is the power of God for salvation. Many... uh, scholars note you know even if you click on let's say uh you know if you got your your dictionary application on your iphone or whatever if you click on the word power uh, it's easy to note that uh you know our word uh dynamite comes from the greek word here for power the greek word is dunamis and the english word dynamite you know comes from the same word or if you speak spanish uh Mita, I'm pronouncing it wrong, butchering that, but it's the same thing. So imagine, you know, just to, to, you know, give us a visual. Imagine a landslide of rocks covering up the exit to a mine, trapping miners in darkness, right? Without access to food, without the needed supply of oxygen. What is it that is able to clear the path that brings their deliverance, their salvation? It is dynamite, the power there, it clears the path. Now, spiritually speaking... The thing that brings about salvation, that has the power to save, that actually affects salvation from slavery to sin to salvation, eternal life, is the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. But to be more specific here, it is the preached gospel that is the power of God, right? That's why he wants to go around and preach it. I'm, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. It is the preached gospel, the heralded gospel the shared gospel that is the power of God to save. By God's design, man shares God's gospel and God's power works in it by the Holy Spirit to bring sinners to salvation. This is once again why he says he's eager to preach the gospel in Rome, Spain, Jerusalem, all over the world. It's a fascinating truth here. The gospel that man preaches is God's power. Today, What is the power of God? Where do you locate the power of God? 
not only would we locate the power of God in an actual event in history, namely the cross and the resurrection, or the incarnation, the cross and the resurrection, but also in the very news that Jesus accomplished those things. That he defeated death on the cross, that he won salvation and forgiveness for all those who repent and believe. And then as he was raised, the son of God in power, as it says there in one verse four. So not it not only is it a historical event where we can locate God's power, it is in the speaking of it. The relaying of the facts in history. To understand this, we to understand how the gospel is the power of God and salvation. Uh, we first consider where the gospel comes from. You have to understand where, where the gospel comes from and to understand why it is the power of God. Right. The gospel is, is about God's divine initiative to save sinners through Jesus Christ. This is the good news. That's what the go- word gospel means. It's good news about what God has accomplished. So it is God's gospel. You can look in the earlier verses in, in, in verses that we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago. It is the gospel of God. It is his gospel. So think about that, right? You have the king, the king of the universe saying, look, this is the message I want you to go out into the world. It is his gospel that where his creation had rebelled against him and earned for ourselves just condemnation and eternal judgment in hell. God offers good news, the good news of his son, that Jesus Christ came to live the life that we should have And he died the death that we ourselves had earned for ourselves. He bore that upon himself. The righteous for the unrighteous. And so he was wounded for our transgressions. You get this idea of substitution where we should have died, right? Suffered execution. God in his grace and his mercy provides Jesus to bear that for us. To be our substitute. And so God's wrath, in fact, is satisfied. Three days later, Jesus Christ gets up from the grave showing that payment has been made. And so therefore, everybody who repents and believes can, in fact, be saved. He was raised from the dead, the son of God in power. He was installed to the right hand of God and all things are under submission to him. This is the good news that through Jesus Christ, we can, in fact, be saved. Salvation is possible through Jesus Christ. It is God's gospel. Right. And then we as Christians are sent out by God's command. It is God's gospel by his divine command with this divine message and we are his divine messengers to go out into the world on authority of the king why is the preached gospel the power of god because we are messengers of the all-powerful one and our message is the gospel of that all-powerful one right so in my heralding and in your sharing of the gospel we are charged to speak his words which have absolute authority And the gospel we share testifies of Christ's power as he conquered sin and death on the cross, defeating death and Satan. So, Christians, you guys realize that in the gospel, the message, you have this invitation from the king that you are to go out into the world, inviting fellow sinners to repent of their sins and know fellowship with the one true king, with divine authority, divine command, carrying the divine message. But in it, there is power in it. There is power. This is why, you know, if we choose to reject the king's invitation, right, there are consequences. His words carry power. And then if we are to accept the king's message and lay down our weapons of war, 
our spiritual hostility, then the king receives us back into fellowship with him. The message itself has power. You can think of like Ezekiel chapter 37. You don't have to turn there right now, but Ezekiel chapter 37, you have God bringing his prophet Ezekiel to the valley of the dry bones. In Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel to look out over this valley and he says that there are just dry bones that are so dry and dusty. You know, if you snap them, they break, they're brittle. There's no life, absolutely no life. I've actually gone to visit cadavers I went to visit cadavers in high school for a, a you know a class. Um, so I've seen in in that class there were like fifty dead bodies. I mean, some of you guys have been in war and you've probably seen much more, much worse things. But the point is here, you know, if you go and see cadavers in a morgue, there is no life. That's what Ezekiel says. As he looks out over this valley of dry bones. There's nothing. There's no moisture. Nothing. And what does God tell Ezekiel to do? He just says, speak. He says, you speak my words. And then what happens? Ezekiel says, okay, speak your words. And then what happens? You see there this, this vivid picture. I, I know somebody who actually wants to get this tattooed all over his back. Uh, this, this vision where the word of God is moving out in power. And what does it do? It brings the bones back together, brings them to life. That's what happens there. The word of God is power. And then, in, you know, in, in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. You see there that his word goes forward, just like, just like the rain, just like the rain comes down from heaven and actually brings up the fruit of the land. So God's word comes down from God and it accomplishes what God determines of it. The word of God has power. If you're looking for the power of God unto salvation, where do you locate it, friends? It is in the gospel of God and we are to go out with it. Now, some will receive it. Others might trample on it. But nevertheless, God has called us to go out with this divine command, this call to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that the gospel is the good news about our all-powerful God, and it is the very power of God to bring about the salvation of sinners, you know, thinking about application here, this should embolden us, shouldn't it? Well, where's the power of God's salvation What is it that wins people and secures salvation for other people? Where do you locate that power, friend? Once again, I think this should embolden us as Christians. You know, for one, right, we don't have to sell it to people. Isn't isn't there great freedom knowing that the power of God is in the gospel and not in fancy PowerPoint presentation? It's not in your ability to convince people of the truth. Right. So you don't need to be a good salesman to be a sharer of the gospel. You don't need to know how to do marketing pitches and how to close deals in a worldly way to be a sharer of the gospel. But what you do need to know about what you do need to know is how to speak about your good and loving king and what he's done for you. You need to learn how to speak about uh, this good and loving king who has freed us from the bondage of sin and how he himself, like a judge, the only judge, has pardoned us, granted us eternal life through his son. To use family language, all you need to know is how to know how to speak about your loving father and how he has adopted you into his family because of his mercy and his grace. So friends, all you have to do is be a faithful messenger who speaks the message that God himself has entrusted to us. Right, we see this, we see an example in Paul the Apostle in another letter in 1 Corinthians. Go ahead and turn there. You can just go one letter to the right. 
Just keep on turning. You'll get through Romans. And the next letter you'll see is 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> this was a letter written by Paul to the church at Corinth. <clears throat> and you see here him being a faithful messenger, just knowing how to speak about how his loving God has saved him, how his loving king has rescued him, how his loving savior has died on the cross. You look there at 1 Corinthians one eighteen. Paul says that, you know, he says, hey, look, you want to know what I'm committed to? I'm committed to preaching the word of the cross. The word of the cross. Why is it? He goes on to say in that verse, because it is the power of God to those who believe. That's what he's committed to. And he goes on to say there in, in, in chapter two, verse one. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Because there the, the Greeks really appreciated this ability to be a great orator. They appreciated rhetoric. He's saying, no, I'm not going to go with that. He said, look, I did not come to you speaking the gospel with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what he's committed to. He knows that. He's committed to that because it is the power of God to those who believe. The question then for us is, friends, do you know your father and his goodness and his love and his mercy in giving sinners his son? Do you know it well enough? Do you know him well enough to tell other people about him? How many times maybe maybe you've heard just, you know, this boyfriend and girlfriend, they're in love with one another, and one person just going on and on and on about this other person, right? They know their loved ones. Think about, think about how people share their passion for their children and their grandchildren. They've got like a thousand pictures on their iPhone. They go on and on and on, right? They know their grandchildren. They enjoy their grandchildren, their relationship. And they know what a wonderful experience being in relationship with one another is like, which is why they talk about it. So the question for you, friend, is do you know your father well enough? Do you know your righteous king well enough and his righteous ways, his righteous character in pardoning sinners Do you know him well enough to herald the good news of the kingdom? Friends, if you say you love your father in heaven but can't speak about what he has done for you, maybe you don't know him well as you thought. If you say you submit your entire lives to this king but don't know the righteousness that undergirds his entire reign, maybe you don't know him well enough as you should. Let me encourage you. Commit yourself to doing everything in your power to grow in your knowing God, who he is, what he has done for you. Commit yourself to studying the word of God, particularly by attending church, where you hear the preaching of the word of God. And let me encourage you, you know, in the back of the bulletin, you'll see that next week, Oscar's going to be preaching from Philippians, the week after as well, so two, two weeks in a row. He's actually going to be starting a series through the book of Philippians. So just take that, you know, the back of your bulletin, you see those verses, just read those verses every single day. And then I'll just prepare you all the more to come and hear the word of God preached from Oscar or myself or anybody else here that preaches. That's one way that you can give yourself to knowing about this God and what he has accomplished for you. All by his grace and his mercy, his love. I'm thinking about evangelism here is, you know, he's eager to share the gospel. So naturally, we want to think about us being eager to share the gospel. But if you are not eager, if you are ashamed, if you cower, you've got to ask yourself where you have located the power of God unto salvation. Is it in your knowledge about all the things that are outside of Scripture? 
I know in talking with some of you guys that there is fear, let's say, in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that some guy got up from the dead and is coming back. And you go on and you share that with Ph.D. researchers and you feel the fear of man, right? Is, is the power of God located in degrees? Or let's say, you know, if you have nothing to offer in terms of financial gain and you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a multimillionaire, thousands of employees all over the world, you're going to turn up and preach that gospel with power? Or have you located the power of God unto salvation in your own status in the world, in the, wor- in the world's eyes, how much money you have? Do you locate the power of God maybe in your ability to close the deal, to seal the deal, to convince all mankind with all of your awesome philosophical arguments that there is no better option than believing in God? While that is good, if we know depravity and sinfulness you know that you can lay out all those arguments and some people won't give a rip about it why is it because the bible says that we are hostile to god and that hostility will trump arguments and you know this too you know if you're mad at somebody they have good reasons for why they've done whatever they've done to make you mad and yet you still want to persist in anger friends where do you locate the power of god unto salvation paul says so clearly that it is the gospel repeating there verse 16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation that's the first reason why we should never be ashamed of the gospel because god has located his power to save in the preaching of the gospel of jesus christ second reason why we should never be ashamed of the gospel it reveals the righteousness of god it reveals the righteousness of god now, again, you know, just basic Bible study stuff. You're trying to understand the word of God. You see there the logic that Paul is using as he goes from verse 16 to 17. 16, he says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 17, why is it? He says, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This explains once again why the preached gospel is the power of God that affects or brings about salvation. It's because God's very righteousness is revealed. Righteousness is a huge theme in the book of Romans, an absolute huge theme. Now, uh, if you are unfamiliar with some of the Bible's language here, uh, there's another word called justification. So when you read that word in Romans, you have justice or just, or you have justification or you have righteousness. All those words come from the same root word in greek they're all related to one another so whether if you're reading just or justification or righteousness it's basically all the same thing justification if you want to know more about what that is and we ought to know more about what this is turn over in your bibles to romans chapter 3 and this is just one example about how righteousness the righteousness of god is a huge theme in the book of romans here chapter 3 verses 21 We'll go ahead and start right there. And all, all I'm doing here, I'm not going to get too much into this, but all I want to do here is just to show, show everybody, hey, look, this is really on Paul's mind. These are the theme verses, remember? This is really on Paul's mind. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Well, here we go again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, same right word, that means declared righteous, declared righteous 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a sacrifice of atonement, as some of your Bibles might read, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show once again God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just once again same root word and the justifier that is the judge who declares people righteous of the one who has faith in jesus you see there i mean how many times does he use the word righteousness or just or justified or justifier here in verse 17 we have actually God's mind. He gives us his mind. He reveals himself as to what we need to be saved. Right? So if 16 talks or mentions that the gospel is the door to salvation, 17 looks at why. It looks at the nature of the door. It helps us stop and appreciate all that goes into its making. Yes, 16 says the door to salvation, the realm of salvation is the gospel. Now Paul says, hold on one second. Let's examine why it is. It is God's very righteousness. The reason why the gospel is God's power unto salvation is because in it, God's very righteousness is revealed. It shows sinners how to get God's righteousness. It shows sinners how to get God's righteousness. Now, maybe if you were reading the passage, you know, throughout the week, you might say, wait, hold on one second. How is the revelation of God's righteousness good news? How is that gospel? If he is an all holy God, which the Bible says he is, and he is the all righteous God who must out of necessity make sure that there are consequences for unrighteousness, then we, in fact, are in trouble. If we know ourselves, as the Bible says, that we all, all mankind are sinners and have rebelled against God in our sin, and we've rejected him, we wanted to topple his throne because we want to be gods ourselves, in effect, then we are in trouble. Because his righteousness is going to be revealed, right? But that righteousness of God that's being revealed here in 17 is God's saving righteousness. It is his saving righteousness. So the reason why the revelation of his righteousness is good news. So just think about like a beam that goes into the darkness, the beam of light that that reveals God's saving righteousness. The reason why that is good news is because of everything else that is being revealed upon the world. Keep that in mind. You look there at verse 18. Something else is also being revealed. And Paul here, he's he's setting the scene for the good news, right? In Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3, he's going to talk about how all men have sinned against God and the rest of one in in 2. And then in 3, he brings up the good news, okay? So he's going to set this up. And where does he go in verse 18? Look there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is revealing his divine wrath against all man. There's nothing less than God's judgment on our unrighteousness. So you see here what God demands of people. God demands righteousness from us. 
He is the all-holy God. He's going to hold us all accountable. We are unrighteous. He says that all men have suppressed God's uh, truth in our unrighteousness. God demands righteousness from us. So, so you see the contrast there of what is being revealed? When we understand our sinfulness and the weight of God's demands on us and the wrath of God against our unrighteousness, there in verse 18, to then see that beam of gospel revealed righteousness. The righteousness of God to all who believe is wonderful news, isn't it? There is judgment for those who reject him, but salvation to those who turn to him. Verse 18 is bad news. The king demands righteousness from me. But the good news is that the righteousness which God demands from us, as one pastor put it, God gives to us. The righteousness which God demands from us, God actually gives to us. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. This righteousness is not a righteousness that we are infused with, as if we somehow are like a bank account of righteousness. Every good deed we do, we gain righteousness, right? We see the ledger increasing and increasing. No, that's not what it means here. We don't earn righteousness. We don't gain righteousness in that sense. We're not infused with righteousness. What he means here is that righteousness is credited to us. We are counted righteous. We are declared righteous before the judge. So we are just but still sinners at the same time we wear god's righteous robes we wear the robes of salvation this is what justification means again we're going to get to this this talks about his righteousness credited to us that's definitely something you guys should know if you are a sinner here you should definitely know how is it that you get the standing the status before god as not guilty even though you're a sinner because god has justified you he has declared you to be righteous even though you are a sinner that's what we read in romans chapter 3 we are declared righteous application for us as a church and us as individual christians as we think about uh, you know this this aspect of being unashamed or being bold for the gospel i find some many even to be ashamed of the wrath of God revealed against unrighteousness. And really what that means is if we we are ashamed of God's righteousness against unrighteousness, it really means that we are ashamed of his righteousness, doesn't it? There are many who who are in fact ashamed of God's wrath and judgment against unrighteousness. And therefore, you know how how we know we are? It's because we're uneasy to bring it up to our friends and family. But did you know, friends, that if we cover up the revelation of God's wrath against ungodliness, we actually hinder people from turning to the revelation of his saving righteousness in the gospel. But yet many are determined, nonetheless, to cover over sin, to cover over the revelation of God's wrath. One example comes from Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral. I've used this example in the past. I think it's an excellent example. Uh, Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral This is what he says. He says, I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ or under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. 
you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, you don't have to read the Bible very far to see that after man rebels against God in Genesis chapter 3, that God found it necessary to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. This is why God reveals himself to them. This is why God brings a curse to them. This is why he promises the gospel to them. This is why he sends prophets to call people to repent, that is, turn back. Jesus himself made it very clear, saying, repent, that is, turn around from your sinful condition. The kingdom of God is at hand. After Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and after he poured out his spirit, do you know what topics the apostles covered? Repent and be baptized. That is, turn away from your sin and be baptized and believe on Jesus Christ. He says, you guys have sinned by killing Jesus Christ and putting him on the cross. He makes it very clear. The Bible is so thoroughly clear that in God's love, he actually makes our lost and sinful condition known to us. I mean, just stop for one moment and think about if your doctor covered over your health problems on purpose. Just stop for one moment and think about, you know, what if you know that your brakes are working funny and you go to your mechanic, you say, something, fix my car, and your mechanic covers over the fact that your brake lines are leaking, you have no brake fluid, and you're bound to die. Do you want a mechanic like that? I mean, we, it's, we think so clearly about such practical things like that. And then when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, for some reason, we get paralyzed. And we don't really know what to think. I think it's evidence that we want a God in our own image. We don't want to hear that news. Well, for Robert Schuller, you know what kind of gospel he went on to preach? He preached a self-esteem gospel. In fact, he went on to be the father of the self-esteem gospel. And naturally so, right? Naturally so. If talking about sin hurts our self-esteem, then what is the good news? Let's just not talk about it. Or you manufacture a new good news that is not about God delivering us from sin, but a gospel, a gospel that helps us think well about ourselves. And so you have the birth of the gospel of self-esteem, a false gospel, in fact. But you know, friends, this compromise doesn't only happen with Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral. This compromise happens with us, well-intentioned evangelicals, even if unintentionally, right? So if we say that our biggest problem in man that we have, right? So just think about it, right? What, what would you say that man's biggest problem really is? If you say man's biggest problem is, hey, you know, we suffer the effects of sin, right? Like, I lack purpose in life. We suffer the effects of sin like, uh, you know, I have a bad marriage or I have a twisted sense of gender or whatever it is, right? With that problem, with that big problem in mind, we therefore turn to come up with our own solutions and we come up with a gospel that promises purpose, ultimately. A gospel primarily about rescuing manhood and womanhood. A gospel primarily about healthy marriages or good parenting. All of that, by the way, the gospel provides. But that is, friends... Our biggest problem is not sin's effects, but sin in our nature. And so if we were crafting those types of gospels, the gospel is eventually lost. If we, for example, think that the biggest problem is what we do, not who we are, right? The biggest problem is, who, is what we do, not who we are, right? I got an anger problem. I've committed adultery. I steal. The gospel then becomes one of sin management, doesn't it? Let me just teach you how to manage your sin and get along fine, and then you'll be okay. We promise the gospel of freedom from pornography, freedom from anger, free from sins, which the gospel helps one do. 
But the gospel is not, the good news is not about sin management. It's about how God does away with it, how he changes our nature. According to the Bible, our biggest problem, God says, is that we are unrighteous sinners who have rebelled against a righteous God. So you can't solve the I stand before the righteous God as an unrighteous sinner problem. You can't solve that problem with the power of positive thinking. You cannot solve that problem with I'm going to now live with purpose. All that does not change who you are. And that certainly does not change who God is. With those false gospels, you cannot get what God demands of us. Only one gospel provides what God demands, the gospel of God. Only God's gospel provides the righteousness we need to be reconciled with a righteous God. It is the power of salvation for all who believe. And it's only when we make clear that God's wrath is being revealed against unrighteousness that we see God's revelation of his righteousness as merciful, as gracious, as loving. And this is the way, you know, for those, for the, the people who understood their Old Testament in that period of time, they understood it like that. So if you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55, just going to open up your Bibles right to the middle, and you'll find Isaiah. If you turn to Isaiah 55, for example, Actually, I tricked you. It's 51. You see these, you see this, you see the language of righteousness and salvation together, right? That's what Paul's talking about. That's just straight out of the Old Testament. It is true that God's righteousness is being, or his judging, he will judge unrighteousness. His wrath is being revealed. But if they, uh, if someone were to hear those words and hear what Paul's saying in 15 and 16 of Romans chapter 1, they would hear echoes of all that's going on here. God's faithfulness, His love, His grace to save. You look there in verse 5. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. And my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me. And, and for my arm they wait. They're waiting for His righteousness. They're waiting for His salvation to come. And He says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. He's talking about there his righteousness and salvation for those who believe on him. Turn over to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Here again, you hear echoes of the salvation, righteousness in Paul. He's just drawing it straight from the Old Testament here. Verse 10 of Isaiah 61, verse 10, he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Right, that's happy, that's good. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. There's this language of status right before God. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. As a bride adorns herself in her jewels. Right there, the people, the sinful people are made beautiful because they wear the righteous garments of God. The garments of salvation. They possess a status of righteousness before their righteous God. Turn back as well. Psalm 98, the passage that uh, Oscar read for us. Psalm 98. I know this might be an unusual amount of flipping for some of you guys, but here I just want to communicate 
I want to point out the fact that these concepts are all Old Testament concepts that Paul is bringing up. Look at there, the first three verses of Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, right? That's rejoicing. That's good. That's glad. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. That is his people. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That's a prophetic verse right there. Hadn't come to fulfillment yet. Now Paul here is bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, revealing the righteousness of God in the gospel. That's the second. That is the second reason why we should not be ashamed, because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The next one, the third reason why we should not be ashamed of the gospel Third, reasons, third reason why we should never be ashamed of the gospel. The power of God and salvation, the righteousness of God is for all who believe. It is for all who believe. It's clear, right? The only way that I receive the righteousness of Christ is through faith. And these verses are the theme verses of the whole entire letter, right? Paul is going to explain how we can be saved by grace through faith in great detail, not by our own works. But as he begins the body of the letter, he introduces the topic here. This is why in 16 and 17, you have references to faith. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. The reason why there he's saying the Jew first is because he's thinking in God's salvation history, right? Salvation came from the Jews. The Savior was of Jewish line. The Jews were preached the gospel to first, and it was the Jews who brought the gospel to the rest of the world, right? So that's why he's saying the Jew first, and then to also to the Greek or the non-Jew. And the Jews, that's how they understood the world. It was Jews and then everybody else. <clears throat> but then in 17, right, you also have references to faith. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. There it just means entirely of faith. Salvation is entirely of faith, as it is written, Old Testament quotation from Habakkuk 2, 4, the righteous shall live by faith. It's always been about faith. It's amazing how we always want to justify ourselves through our own works, isn't it? We're always trying to explain away our sin. Well, this is the reason why I did it. And this is the reason why I stand right before God. I, I think you see that if you're visiting with us and know yourself not to be a Christian. I think you see this in the way maybe that you compare yourself with other bad people and you justify yourself. Maybe that thing that keeps you up late at night where your conscience is haunting you and you want to justify that away. You want to put it away and say, yeah, no, I stand before humans, other humans, not so bad after all. And so you compare yourself looking for the worst person on the world. I've never killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery, even though Jesus says, if you've hated another person or if you've lusted after another person, you've already murdered and committed adultery. But you see that, that desire in you to, to, to write off your sins, to make yourself feel better about yourself. Even your conscience, friends, tells you that you cannot be justified apart from Jesus Christ. And by a righteousness outside of yourself. So you don't have to turn there. But the book of Philippians. This is just innate in human beings. To seek justification in other things. Just listen as I go over to Philippians chapter 3. Right, Paul he, he himself says. That no we are justified by a righteousness. He says quote. 
a righteousness that comes from faith, not one that comes from the law. There is thinking about the Jewish law or what people do in general or morality, whatever. But a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that is belief, that is turning away from your sins and relying on Jesus Christ. And if you turn over to Romans 10, go ahead and turn over to Romans 10. Here, Paul is writing to the Jews and he's speaking about, you know, the Jews who are depending on their own works to save them. But really, this can be applied to anybody here. Verse three, Romans chapter 10, verse three says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So here you see this, 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 uh, you see this comparison. Law can't get you salvation, but faith in Jesus Christ alone by God's grace. It is that that makes one righteous. The Old Testament says the righteous shall live by faith. And the fact that God's righteousness is for all who believe really is good news, isn't it? Especially knowing that God's righteous wrath was being revealed against the unrighteousness of all man. Right. Praise God, then, that just as man's unrighteousness knows no cultural boundaries, knows no social class status lines, friends, neither does the gospel call. So the gospel just goes out to all man. Doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't even matter how bad you are. If you are to be saved, the one thing you must acknowledge is that you cannot save yourself. But Jesus Christ has come to save man. You see here the expansiveness of God's salvation there in verse 16. Once again, it says to the Jew first and then to everybody else and also to the Greek. So if you're visiting with us once again and you know yourself not to be a follower of Jesus, I don't know what you think about the gospel or Christianity and who exactly it is for. But I hope these verses make clear to you that the gospel is for all sinners. God's righteousness, once again, is for all sinners who believe doesn't matter what your cultural background is doesn't matter what kind of family you come from or whether you have a high school diploma or not this passage friends calls you to examine your life and ask yourself friends if you're in my unrighteousness how will i stand before the righteous god a wonderful thing here we see in these verses the good news is that jesus christ his righteousness is available to all who turn from their sin and believe on him and you will be forgiven made right with the king adopted into his family you will know his spirit the spirit of salvation and you will be declared righteous in his sight as we make a way to our conclusion here god's salvation is made known to sinners in the gospel there is no need to be ashamed why because it is the power of god because god's righteousness is revealed And it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. Christian, as we grow in our understanding of what the gospel is, according to God's good design, we will grow in boldness for that gospel and we should not be ashamed. And when we realize what is at stake if the gospel is not preached, we ought not be ashamed. This is why Paul wanted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, even if it meant suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. This was the case for all of the apostles and many disciples of Jesus Christ, like the English reformer William Tyndale. 
He gave his life to uncovering the gospel of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, and so he was martyred. God's plan of salvation was revealed in the gospel. Salvation was at stake in the gospel. This is why Bible translation was a necessary passion for him, as he was the first one to translate the Bible from its original languages into English. There were other English translations, not so good, but here Tyndale went back to the original languages to produce an English Bible for the common man. He knew what was at stake in the, in, in the uncovering, once again, of the Scripture, in the preaching of the Gospel. Listen to what he says. In Christ, God loved us, His elect and chosen before the world began, and reserved us unto the knowledge of His Son and this Holy Gospel. And when the Gospel is preached to us, He opens our hearts. He giveth us grace to believe and putteth the spirit of Christ in us. And we come to know him as our father most merciful. As Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, how kind you are to reveal your saving power to us. Even though we were heading straight into your judgment by our own desire and choice as the bible says we were hostile against you yet lord you chose to reveal yourself and save we thank you lord that in the gospel your righteousness is revealed we thank you lord that you have no problem you delight in counting sinners to be just and making them righteous by your holy decree. Lord, we see you are a king, not only of righteous law, but of salvation, of love, of grace, of mercy. Lord, we thank you that by your divine decree, you told your people to go out to the ends of the earth, inviting people to the banquet table of the king, where we could know you, and sit with you, and dine with you, and have fellowship with you. Lord, we pray that we would never be ashamed of the gospel as it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. In your name we pray, amen.